I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 17. We've been in 1 Samuel in a series called How the Mighty Have Fallen. Our key word is looking for four different falls, people who've been in pride and the fall that they experience and how we can learn from them. We looked at Eli and his fall, cost him his life. We looked at the god Dagon and how he fell in the temple and what that represented. Tonight we're going to look at the classic example of David and Goliath. A lot of verses. We won't read the whole chapter. We're going to look at some of it as we go through, though. It's quite a lengthy chapter, almost 60 verses, but we're going to take a look at a survey of it tonight. Perhaps you've heard of the phrase, the idiom, the bigger they are, the harder they, they fall. That's something you say to emphasize that the more important or powerful a person is, the more difficult it is when they lose that power or importance. How hard a person falls depends on how big they are. There are a lot of, and I'm, I, I can't even begin to touch the surface of famous falls all throughout history, but I'm going to stick with a few. Richard Nixon recently, you know, I, you know, say in the last 50 years. Tiger Woods, even more recently, fell from that status with all that he was involved in. Uh, Bill Cosby and all the crimes he committed in prison. You remember, I think I was a kid, remember Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? Remember that whole ice skating Olympic thing going on? That was craziness. Martha Stewart of all things, you know, you know, and all the debacle with her going to prison. Lance Armstrong did not live up to that great first name he has. Had all those gold medal in the cycling and give it all back because he used steroids his entire career. O.J. Simpson, I mean, it's just endless, isn't it? I mean, you could talk about pastors, you could talk about CEOs, you could talk about businessmen. I mean, it's endless, isn't it? Famous falls. But again, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And I don't think they get much bigger than Goliath, honestly. I mean, I mean literally. Um, and that's what we've been looking at. Really, we had three little categories that we discover about each fall. And we're going to do the same thing tonight. I'm going to rename them for you. Physical appearance is the first thing we look at. And then we look at the fall itself. And then we look at the exaltation of the person in the story who's humble. So we're going to do all three of those again tonight. When it comes to David and Goliath, I know you're familiar with this story, but I'm going to ask you tonight to come open-minded and have new eyes to see, and maybe there'll be some lessons in here you haven't contemplated and some things you haven't put together before. But let me talk about Goliath's size. Look at 17 and verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. That word means literally a man between the two. That's literally what the Hebrew word means. In other words, between the contrast between him and David, he's definitely the man, right? He is. And so look how big he is. He is the champion Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now that means nothing to us, but that would put him in our day about nine foot nine. That beats Shaq by quite a bit. I mean, we've had some people eight foot in history, but nine foot nine is pretty big. That's like taking uh, Mr. Stovakin and adding about three feet to it, right? So that's a lot. Um, he was a giant. Now, if you put, this is why, let me, commercial, ready? This is why you should just read the Bible all the way through. 
You know why? Because it makes you think of content in other parts of stories that are related to this. Now, let me ask you, when is another time that Israel faced giants that they were afraid of? Not Jericho so much. I mean, the, the walls were big, right? But yeah, the 12 spies. Remember they came back and they, we can't win. We can't take Canaan. Why? Yeah, there are Anakim. There are giants in the land. They couldn't do it. Now, he is definitely in the giant category. He's a descendant of those Anakim. And, but, but watch. In the story, though, if you read the whole book of 1 Samuel and you're listening for things, what do we know about Saul when it comes in comparison to everyone else in Israel? He's, chapter 9, verse 2, and chapter 10, verse 23, twice, because the Bible doesn't want it to miss it. Because when we get to this point, they want you to put this together in your mind. He is head and shoulders bigger than everybody else. So although he's not 9 foot 9 in Israel, he's the giant, right? He's bigger. So when you come to a battle between Israel and Philistines, and Goliath is the giant, who on our side, I'll say our side, who should face him? Yeah, Saul, because he's bigger than everybody else. So if you put it all together logically from a, you know, a secular point of view, you'd, write, you'd have the two giants facing each other. But for 40 days, Goliath comes out and taunts everybody, and Saul's just as scared and afraid of everybody else is. You know why? Because 40 days and 40 nights, I mean, that's what he's been doing to Goliath. The time David gets there, it's been that long. Now, you know the word, the number 40, is a time of testing. It's a time of trial. That's how many years they were in the wilderness. That's how many days Jesus was tempted, and so forth and so on. So this is a test of Israel, and the test is for them, and it is for us tonight. Who will we trust? How will we fight the battles that we face? And we have to ask ourselves now. Now listen, in each one of these points, we're going to contrast it. So Goliath is a giant, nine foot nine. He's huge. He's big. He's a champion. He's been a warrior from the get-go. Now, contrast that with David. David is called, literally in Hebrew, a little boy. In 1 Samuel 17, turn over to verse 42, underline it, and then put this in the margin. And when the Philistine looked at and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. In the, it's the Hebrew word for little boy. It's the same word used, same book, 1 Samuel 2.11, when it talks about Samuel and he's working in the temple, he is a little boy. <laughs> That's the word for David. In other words, David's a teenager and he's not a big one. So here we got nine foot nine and maybe we got five foot nine. I don't know, whatever he is, right? So there's a big disparity. So you got big giant Goliath and little small David. He is so little that when he tries to put on Saul's armor that he offers to him later, he can't wear it. He says it's not tested, but he can't wear it. It's too big for him. Saul is gigantic and David is not. Saul is older, David is younger. He's the youngest of seven. So he's the youngest in his family. He's the smallest one on the battlefield. And, of course, Goliath is big. Now, another point to make this. The word man is used seven times and men eight times. The men of Israel, the men who are the Philistines. Saul was a man. And man and men, it's used of a lot of different people, a lot of different groups. It's never once used of David in the entire chapter. 
because he would not be literally considered a man yet because that's why he's keeping his father's sheep and that's why his brothers are in the army but he's not old enough yet so here's what the Samuel's doing he's building a story he's getting you to put in your mind here's what David's like really small little no experience not a warrior Goliath gigantic huge bigger even bigger than Saul and that's what's happening now we haven't even touched this let me go to the next part how big is he well here's his armor Look at verses 5 through 7. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now write down this if you're taking notes. A lot of big numbers in this text. A lot of measurements, all right? And when it comes to size of Goliath, it's not just how big he is personally, it's about how much and how big his armor is. And there's a lot of big numbers so here we go, we have, he's wearing um, a coat of mail, and it weighs 5,000 shekels, which would be 125 pounds. That's just what he's wearing over his shoulders. 125 pounds is what it weighs. The spear he has, they said, is like a weaver's beam. And just to tell you how big it is, that he's throwing this distances accurately, the head of the spear, the weight on the end of it that obviously does the destruction, weighs 15 pounds. That's how much the weight on the end of it is. And then you got the gigantic thing, and he's throwing this with a 125-pound coat on with heavy bronze on his head. He's got bronze. This is all made of bronze. His leggings are made of bronze. Everything's made of bronze. Even the thing that he throws on the end of it, the weight of it, is all bronze. Now, let me tell you something special about that. The word bronze is also the word is used in a noun form. It is the word serpent. So when you look at him, all of his armor has little scales on it. I don't know if you ever watched TV. They actually have little scales weaved into it. That's how it moves. It has flexibility. It's not hard and just a big piece, you know, like the knights of old. It's more like it moves. It's like it moves a little bit. So it gives him some flexibility. So the idea is, is that from head to toe, he looks like a serpent. That's the idea. And it's used other places in the Bible to describe serpents and, and other people who wear this similar armor. So you have, here you got David, who represents God, and then you got the Philistines, who I believe represent Satan, and then from head to toe, their champion, who is huge, he is serpent from top to bottom. He's nine and a half feet tall, six cubits, 5,000 shekels is the weight of it. His spearhead is 600 shekels of iron. He has a shield armor bearer in front of him because the guy has all this weight on that he has a guy carrying his shield. That's another thing. And that's all in front of him. You got all that, that stuff going on and then you got David over here in contrast. David has no armor and when he's given armor, it's too big for him. It's too heavy for him to carry. And so he takes a sling. Now, remember the numbers? 5,600, six cubits. What is the number that's associated with David? Five. <laughs> Five stones. And by the way, there is no measurement of weight for it because they don't weigh anything in comparison. So all these big measurements, big guy, big, huge size, big, big, big. It just shouts big. Little, 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 little David. And he has a sling 
and he has five stones. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is the application of it. And that is this. David goes and Saul dismisses him at first because there's no way that you could go out and fight Goliath because you're a young person. You're a teenager. You're too small. You've never fought with weapons. And he's all that you're not. And so you can never do it. And David, when given Saul's armor, nicely says, it says he put them off. Now, in the text, listen to this. It describes Saul's armor. Saul has, listen to this, see if it doesn't sound familiar. He has a helmet of bronze. He wears a coat of mail. And he has a spear. What does that remind you of? That's everything that Goliath had. And the idea in the text is, is that Saul is like Goliath. And David is offered that kind of weaponry, that kind of methodology, that kind of military strategy. And when he gets it, he turns it down. Now, it doesn't seem like much in the store, but I would say, as I look at the whole thing, it is a major decision in David's life. And here's what the decision is. I'm not going to be a little Saul. I'm not going to be a little, I'm not using his method. I see where what Saul's viewpoint and Saul's perspective has taken him. So I'm not taking his armor. Here's what I would say. I'm sticking with the Lord. I'm sticking with the Lord. So now let me add one more thing to it. And see if you know this text. Judges chapter, and let me get write it down. I've written down. Judges chapter 20 in verses 15 and 16 say this, and it seems random and unimportant, but again, read the Bible in its entirety. In Judges 20 verses 15 and 16, it says of the tribe of Benjamin, they have so many people who are soldiers, I think 28,000, 700 of them were all left-handed. Any lefties in here tonight? Raise your hand. You're all from the tribe of Benjamin most likely. Now, it said that they were excellent with slings because they could take a a stone and they could be accurate up to a hair's breadth. And that's a nice way of saying that from a distance, they could so good with that sling that you better watch out because they could rock your world in in, in nothing, right? So, now that's what the Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin's known for that, and they're left-handed. I don't know why that matters, but they're accurate. Now, what tribe is Saul from? Benjamin, right? What tribe is David from? Judah. Now, in the story, you think, why doesn't Saul do a sling thing? But he doesn't. But who does? David does. And I think the point of it is this. I think he's a better Benjamite than Saul, who, king, who is king and really is a Benjamite. He goes out and said, even though I'm not a Benjamite, you know what? It's not the sling, it's not the stones, it's the Lord. It's the Lord that I'm going to trust. And let me ask you, in your life, who are you more like when you come to facing battles and trials and difficulties and fights in your life, can I say? Do you act more like David or like Saul who was more like a Philistine? He looked like Goliath, big and strong. He had all the armor like Goliath. He had the mentality of Goliath. But David says, I don't want any part of that. See, I want to use God's methods. You say, really? Yeah. Now, don't turn there. 
in Deuteronomy 17 and verses 14 through 20, it says this, and this is a prophecy. Moses says to the inspiration of God that when you come to the promised land, Israel, you are going to ask me to give you a king like all the other nations. So the asking of a king was prophesied. And it says, and I'm going to give you one. And when you get a king, here's what you can and can't do as a king. You cannot multiply horses and chariots. And you can't have a standing army because why? Because God says when you have fight battles, you will depend on me. You cannot multiply gold and silver, although Solomon had more than, I mean, it was like silver was like rocks on the street. It was so popular. David was rich. They had, and it says you can't make treaties and you can't multiply wives, foreign wives, because then you're going to find your security in making treaties with your dad in other countries instead of depending on me. So you couldn't do all of those things. And one of them was you can't have an army. You can't depend on swords and spears. You can't do that. And so throughout all of history, go read the Old Testament. And, and there's actually books on just on all the battles in the Old Testament. Read it and see how many times in battles where Israel was outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered, and they won the battle and they did nothing. They did nothing. In fact, in our book, in 1 Samuel 7, it says the Philistines came and attacked Israel while Samuel was giving a sacrifice to God. While they're worshiping God, the Philistines attacked knowingly. And it says this in 7.10, And the Lord thundered. I would have loved to hear that one. I actually probably wouldn't have. It says he thundered. He made such a loud noise in Hebrew. It says he made such a loud noise that it scared them half to death. They became chaotic, and they all ran, and Israel slaughtered them. Why? They didn't do anything. They didn't fight. They didn't get up there. It says they chased them down, and all the reason was is that God thundered and made a noise. And you read through how many pictures, right? trumpets, walk through the Red Sea. They didn't do anything. They all drowned them. You look at all the ways that God, they got bogged down. Remember, sister, it got bogged down in the valley. It rained and the mud and they weren't ready for it. I mean, you look at all the battles and how many times the Israel does nothing or next to nothing. Why? Because the whole idea about how you and I face battles and how we fight them matters. David doesn't have a sword in his hand. He has no weapon. In fact, when he cuts off Goliath's head, he has to get Goliath's sheath, a sword out of his own sheath because he doesn't have one. In fact, you read stories about fighting the Philistines and they all go into battle and the only person with a sword is Saul and his son Jonathan. No one else has one. And God, let me say this, and God likes it that way. He does. You know Why? Because he wants us to depend on him. Churches today, some of them, are using wrong methods because they're looking for physical power more than spiritual power. So they're thinking about, oh yeah, you know how we can gain power? Through politics. That's how we can do it. Or we can do it through cultural power. Or we can do it through, you know, we just have the right celebrity speakers speak at our church. We can just get concert worship. Can we just get a rock band in here and, and do the lights and have some fog and do some of that sort of thing? See, we get entertainment. We can get crowds and numbers of people in here. If we just preach health and wealth gospel and tell people how great they are, Joel Olstein, tell people oh, you're wonderful. God loves you. You don't really have to worry about a thing. Just keep loving yourself. And we tell people this garbage. See, it'll be great because people will be attracted to it. It's the same fight, isn't it? 
See, David and Goliath, it's still going on today in our lives. And so we look at the war strategy. Saul and Goliath use physical force. David uses spiritual force. You ever heard of Psalm 20, verse 7? You ever read it? It goes like this. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Um, Goliath runs out of the field, tells David that I'm going to feed your body to the, the birds, your carcass to the birds. David comes back and says to him, I'm going to not just do your body, I'm going to do all the Philistines' bodies. Now, why do they have this back and forth? It's like, it's like you know, old ancient trash talking or something before a battle, right? Why are they doing this? Well, they're not really doing it. You know what they're doing? They're telling you in the ancient Near East, this is what battles were. It wasn't just about Philistines versus Israel and who was better and who was stronger. Do you remember what he says to him? Here's what Goliath says. It cursed David by his gods. By his gods. Who do we know that is the Philistine, one of the Philistine gods? We, we talked about him last week. So imagine this. He's cursing him by his gods. And he's talking about Dagon, probably is one of them, if not the main one. That's what he's used to. Because in ancient Near East, if you lose a battle, it wasn't just defeating Israel, or Phil, it was defeating your God. And battle was a public demonstration about whose God was stronger. Can I tell you, that's true in your life. You know why it's important to use God's weapons in God's warfare? You know why? Because his name is at stake in your battles. See, if you fight like the Philistines and you try to win your battles like a Philistine, see, you worship Philistine gods. But that's why God's people don't use those weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. For our weapons are not carnal or fleshly, are they? No, they're spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. Pastor Dave preached on that not too long ago and apologetically, right? Because ours are spiritual weapons. If you're fighting a spiritual battle, then you're using spiritual weapons. Ephesians 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness and high places, right? That's the battle that we we're in. So God's people were armed with different things. Righteousness, faithfulness, God's word, prayer. We put all the armor on with prayer. So David says, you come to me, Goliath, watch, you come to me with sword and a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel whom you have blasphemed. You see the difference? Pagan God, pagan strategy, methods. True God, true weapons, true strategies. Pride believes, hear me, Pride believes that it's your strength that will win the day. One commentator I read this week said, you know why I think, this is his opinion, you know why I think David brought stones? Because Goliath, David wasn't awed like everybody else about Goliath in the same way. Everybody was awed when he came to the front lines. Everyone says, have you seen how big this guy is and how awful he is? And everybody's going, ooh, I'm afraid of him. He's so big. David's not awed by that. Do you know what he's awed by? That he would have the nerve to blaspheme the living and true God. That's what unnerves David. So the Bible says that he uses stones. And the commentator said, you know why I think he uses stones? Because 
in the Levitical Code, when you blaspheme God, it is a capital crime, and Goliath deserved to be stoned, and David was going after it. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I can tell you this. He didn't come after with sword and spear, but he came after him with stones because it was the name of God that was at stake in his life. I find it very interesting. These little patterns in the Bible in the four stories that we're looking at, Dagon falls, and what happens to him? He falls over on his face. What happens? And his head's off, right? Listen, the Bible says in verses 47 through 49 that David hits him in the forehead with a stone. Now, this is a guess. Some people project that the stone was about as big as a tennis ball, weighed a couple pounds, and projected somewhere between 100 and 150 miles an hour and hits him in the forehead, which probably knocks him unconscious. And he goes over, and the Bible says he fell, there's our word, and he fell on his face to the ground. And then David takes his sword and finishes him off and cuts his head off. Listen to this principle. He dies like a snake. On his face, cut his head off. More, he dies just like Dagon died. Can I say it that way? Dagon falls over on his face. His head is cut off. Philistines worship him. Goliath worship him. And that's exactly how he dies. Have you ever read Psalm 115 and Psalm 135? Two places in the Psalms that say the same thing. And here's the principle that you will become what you worship. You will become what you worship. And it says, and I'm, I'm translating, paraphrasing, that you, can't, you shouldn't worship idols. Why? Because, and there's a list. Now between the two of them, some of them are the same, but there's a list because some of them are not. Listen, it says, idols have no mouth, they cannot talk. They have no eyes, they cannot see. They have no ears, they cannot hear. No breath, they're not alive. No noses, can't smell. No hands, they can't do it. No feet, they can't go anywhere. And here's all the things, and it says, and if you worship them, you will be like them. Goliath worshiped Dagon, and he died just like him. Can I tell you, that's true for you and me. Whatever you treasure, you will trust, trust. Trust. Whatever you revere, right, you will resemble. Because what you are like is a demonstration of what you love. It's true in our kids' life. We teach them to worship and love money, power, education, possessions, popularity, pleasure. You name it. We teach them that is what they will become. They will think that everything is about their looks and their body or their mind and their intellect or the power they have to make money or the position they have and the career that they have and how high they rise on the corporate ladder. None of those things inherently wrong. But let me tell you, when they become your idol and they replace God, it becomes a major issue. And you will become like whatever you worship. Saul and Goliath trusted in swords and spears, horses and chariots, and they both die in those ways. David instead, and makes it public, he trusts in the Lord his God, and he trusts in him, and everything is completely different in his life than it was for either one of them. 
The last thing we see is the exaltation. So you have size, physical description, you have the fall, and then you have the exaltation. David is not proud, he is humble. He fights God's wars and God's ways. I don't come with a sword and a spear, but with sling and stone. He doesn't just say it, listen, he lives it. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, I really trust God, but in the battles, at the heat of the fight, when everything's at stake, David lives out the words that he says for everybody else. Now, again, remember what we said about Hannah in the beginning in chapter two in the poem and the song that she writes? It is hermeneutically the foundation. And in that foundation in verse four, it says, the bows of the mighty men are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. See the principle? The powerful people who depend on fleshly means and fleshly methods of doing things and winning battles, their bows will be broken. They will lose but it's the feeble people, it's the weak people who don't have anything. It's the big versus small. And the small ones who trust God and believe in his ways and his methods, here's what God says, they will bind on strength. They'll have a power that you can't get anywhere else. So David stays humble. And by the way, his humility was not only in how he fought and what he did, but listen, what he did not do so now the comparison from the Saul and David are going to begin all the way through. And here's, here's what you find out. Goliath's not the only enemy of David with a spear in his hand. You know how much Saul becomes more and more like Goliath and more and more like a Philistine his whole life? Look through the word spear. Look it up in your, your concordance or on the internet. The rest of his life and the rest of 1 Samuel, you know what Saul, the vast majority of times when you find him, it says this, and he had a spear in his hand, and he had a spear in his hand. I put it down nine times, not, and he had a spear in his hand. In fact, he tried numerous times to take that spear and kill David with it and pin him to the wall. And he ends up, listen, on the Mount, we're going to talk about it next week, on the Mount Gilboa, here's how the messenger finds him. He was leaning against the spear because he, he set it up on the ground and plunged himself on. He died by his own spear. Right? So, so, see, that's where your own strength, your own wisdom, your own power, your own methods, that's where it gets you. David, he's humble. He doesn't do what everybody else does. He's different than everyone in the crowd, even his own brothers. And he's patient. You know, the whole time he has chances to kill Saul in the cave, he doesn't. Others want to kill Saul in the camp, and he says, no, you can't. You know Why? Because he's humble, and humility always is accompanied by patience and endurance, waiting on God to come through and not resorting to fleshly methods and fleshly ways of doing things to get what you want faster. Lastly, in the Bible, how, how would you do that? Pastor Walker, that sounds so difficult, and it is. How do you have that kind of mentality? How do you live that out in your battles? Here's what, how I can tell you. You need to build up a history with God. You know what the Bible says? What was it that David said that convinced Saul that he should be the one to fight Goliath? Because he was too small, he was too little, he couldn't wear the armor, he couldn't hold the sword, he had no weapons, he was a teenager. Why would he go out there and why would Saul let him? Here's what David says to him. Ready? When I was a shepherd keeping my dad's sheep, lions would come up, bears would come up, and I would grab a hold of them and I would defeat them. And as the Lord delivered them into my hand, this uncircumcised Philistine will be no different. Now listen, 
in pride, he could have said, this wimpy Goliath, I'm going to take him down just like I took the lions and bears down. Let me tell you, I'm ready for this. I can do it. I can handle this. I got it. He didn't say it that way. You know how he frames it? The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered the lion and the bear. See, he had lion stories and bear stories. And so when it came to the Goliath story, he had confidence, but not confidence in himself. Not confidence in himself. He took five stones, not one. He had confidence in God because God had, in him had built up a history. David trusted him. When, listen, when no one was looking and it was just God and him and the sheep, he said, I trust God. When no one's looking, I'm not going to get any notoriety. No one's going to put my name in the headlines. But see, I trust God. See, David was small before Goliath, but he'd been small before that. He'd been small compared to the bear. He'd been small compared to the lion. And he is under man, under strength. He didn't, see, he couldn't win any of those, but he had built up a history of trusting God in impossible situations. And when it came to time for Goliath, Nothing changed because God hadn't changed. Do you have a history? Do you have any lion or bear stories that you can tell your kids about, that you can tell yourself about when you need it? Are you building up a story of history that you trust God when you don't have that money and when you don't know how this is going to turn out and when you get that diagnosis and when you think things are going on the rocks and you don't know how it's going to turn out? See, do you trust? Do you have the faith? See, looking, listen, looking back at the faithfulness of God, the stories, enables you to look forward to the future things that he will continue to do. It helps to be able to look back. It's time, isn't it? Don't you want to tell our kids, don't faith about this church, hey, remember when we thought this was in the pandemic and all that? Remember that? And we look back at that and say, wow, look how difficult and what happened. But you know what? We look back and look what God did out of that. Because a bunch of people at Faith Baptist Church said, we're going to be totally committed. We are. We're going to do God's message and God's methods. And we're going to do it his way. And look what he can do. And we're going to tell some lion and bear stories and then the Goliath story on top of it so that all the glory and honor can be to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us. Goliath cursed God and thought he was great and his God was greater. He was so full of pride. He's so many words of pride, very proud. David, in contrast, even to Saul, was much more humble. He depended on you. So small, so insignificant, so weak, just like us. Help us to have that kind of faith that we can have stories to tell about the wonders and the greatness and the glory of our God and what he did for us, through us, for his name's sake. And we'll ask this in his name, Jesus. Amen.